This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Amen. Well, we're going to be talking about sealing up the cracks today is what we're going to be talking about. And hopefully, it's already getting cold, but hopefully you've already done this if you needed to do this at your house before it gets too cold because it sticks a little better if you go and try to seal up windows or or, or different areas in your home where the cold air could seep in or get in. But that's what we're going to talk about today is sealing up the cracks. And this is going to be my final message in this Toolkit for Life series And, you know, as I was thinking about this, looking back over all the things we've talked about, we've talked about how to hammer out fear, we've talked about how to cut to the core, and we've talked about how to keep things balanced in our lives. And as we wrap up this series, talking about the toolkit for life, I'm thinking every single one of these tools, they all have something in common. Every single one of them are different ways that we can use the Word of God that He has given us to live a life that will bring Him glory and will help us walk in the victory that Jesus has already bought and paid. Amen? And so there's two ways of navigating problems and trials and situations in our lives. One is to react to the situation. We can live reactively and allow the pressure to trigger some type of behavior. And oftentimes we'll repeat that behavior over and over again. We'll get on some crazy cycle when some trigger has uh, snapped or been pulled in our lives. And we'll just keep repeating these same habits over and over again, reacting to life. Or two... We can proactively invest time and effort in preparation because we know that trials are coming. We can seal up those areas that we're aware of because we know that something's coming that could hurt us. We know something's coming that could get us off track, and we want to be able to proactively attack those things with the Word of God, with the tool that He's given us. Because here's the thing about trials. God has called us to prepare for trials, not avoid them. If you look all throughout the Word, you will see where God is constantly and continually calling His people to prepare for trials. He calls us to prepare for the things that the enemy would try to knock us out or knock us down. He wants us to be a people who are ready. I remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Jacob's son, if you remember him, the, Joseph, the, the son of Jacob who had the coat of many colors. You remember this maybe in Sunday school if you grew up in church. You would have heard this story, I imagine. Joseph was one of 12 brothers, and Joseph ended up getting thrown into a pit, sold into slavery by his own brothers. While he was in jail, uh, he begins to uh, interpret dreams of some of his fellow, fellow prison mates. Well, one of those prison mates happened to be the baker that worked for the Pharaoh of Egypt. Well, the baker gets out of prison, and he goes and talks to Pharaoh because Pharaoh ends up having this terrible dream, and he doesn't know what it means. And the baker says, hey, while I was in prison, there was this guy who interpreted my dream. Maybe you could go talk to him because he was still in prison at the time. So they go, and they grab Joseph. Joseph begins to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Now, here is what Pharaoh's dream was all about. He had a dream that there were seven fat cows, and then he had a dream that there were seven skinny cows, and then the seven fat cows, uh, seven skinny cows devoured the seven fat cows, and this guy's wondering, what in the world does this mean? This is not just a bad pizza night, or whatever you eat if you're an an Egyptian. I don't know what you eat in Egypt, but it, it must have been bad that night, or he was wondering, is there significance to this? So he calls up Joseph. Joseph said, it's really simple what this means. 
He said there's going to be seven years. The seven fat cows represent seven years of plenty. We're going to have uh, all kinds of great harvests and increase. Uh, man, our crops are going to do well. Our cattle's going to do well. We're just going to be really prosperous for seven years. But then there's coming seven years of famine where things aren't going to go well no matter how hard we try. And actually those seven years of famine are going to consume all of that prosperous uh, seven years that we had before. He said, okay, now that I know what that means, what do we do about it? And he said, well, I'll tell you what we need to do. Let's take the seven good years and let's make preparation. Let's not just enjoy that, but let's know that the trial is coming. So let's in advance prepare for that. So when those times come, we'll be ready. And that's exactly what happened. And the land of Egypt ended up uh, helping all of that area and all the surrounding nations be able to survive because they were the only ones who had food and they could provide food for the surrounding nations. And Pharaoh got Joseph out of prison and made him second in command because of this and actually put him in charge of all of the organization of this and the distribution of all of that food during those seven uh, years of famine. So we see that this and many other examples that I could give you, that God calls us to prepare for trials. He didn't just throw David in front of the giant and say, go figure it out. No, he killed a bear whenever he was tending his father's sheep. He had gotten pretty good with his slingshot. He had been in preparation for some time. You see, when the trial came, it wasn't just like God threw him in there and just did something. No, it was that God had been preparing him for the trial. And God wants us to seal the cracks in our lives by preparing and being aware that there are trials that are coming in our life. John 16 and 33, Jesus said it this way. He said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Man, do you see what Jesus is saying here? I've spoken to you all these things. He was telling them about things that are going to happen that you will see as signs of the end times. He says, but I tell these things to you that you may have peace. But yet some of those things are the very things we freak out about. How many times do people freak out about what's happening in our world climate? How many times do we freak out about what we see on the news? But Jesus said, I told you all these things so you can have peace. But yet we're misunderstanding the purpose of him telling us this. You see, if we live reactively, we're going to go, oh no, this is beyond my control. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? But Jesus said, I've told you that all of these things are coming, that nations are going to rise up against nations so you can have peace. That sounds like something that's going to give me peace. Jesus, nations are going to rise up against nations. Oh, that sounds like a blast. Let's see how that goes. I have peace now because you told me that. What? doesn't make a lot of sense to us unless we understand that God wants us to prepare for trials. He wants us to know something's coming. You don't have to worry about it because you have adequate time to be able to make sure that your relationship with God is solid. So even though they may try to take your life, what's that going to do? It's just going to promote you onto heaven. He said, you don't have to worry about this. You can have peace in the middle of chaos because in the world you're going to have tribulation. But you can have cheer. You can have joy. You can have peace because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. 
You see, he wants us to be ready for these things. He doesn't tell us these things, so we'll freak out about it and start watching the blood moons and start watching all, what all these different countries are doing so we can freak out and wrestle around in our bed and not sleep and not have peace. That is the enemy trying to use something in order to cause you to be in fear. And we know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen? He wants us to hammer out fear. He wants us to take out fear because we have overcome fear through Jesus who gives us a peace that passes our understanding. He wants us to take his word and speak the word instead of allowing the things that happen in our world to cause us fear. I've told you all these things are coming, not so you'll freak out, but so you understand I need to get ready. I need to prepare. I need to make sure that I'm investing in my relationship with God and that I'm leading my wife or my husband and my children and my friends and my family and my influences that God has given me into relationship with God because I want to make sure that they can have that same peace in the middle of the storm as well. This should encourage us, not freak us out. Because we should know that Our God has overcome and that I can trust him and I can have peace because of him. So we seal up the cracks by reminding ourselves of who we are and whose we are. We seal up the cracks by going, you know what, even though things around me may be crumbling, even though things around me may be falling apart, even though people around me getting straight up crazy, I'm not going to worry and freak out and lose my peace over it. Because I know that God is for me, not against me. I know who I am in Christ. I know that He has already won the victory. And I belong to God because of what Jesus has done for me. And because I know who I am and whose I am, even though the enemy may try to come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against the enemy. And that's... Spirit of the Lord that is rising up in you and in me is when we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Remind ourselves that God is for us, that He's not against us. Amen? Amen. Remind ourselves that God overcomes all. That I've read the back of the book and guess what? We win because Jesus has already won. Amen? If I remind myself of those things, I don't have to navigate my days in fear. I don't have to worry about all of the things that the world wants me to worry about. Instead, I'm investing my security in knowing who I am and whose I am. I'm saying, no, I, I know who I am. I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that, that, that I'm going to play that game because I'm secure in the fact that I am loved, that I am accepted, that I am forgiven, and it has nothing to do with anything I have ever accomplished. It has everything to do with what Jesus has accomplished. And when my security is wrapped up in the finished work of the cross, I will have peace and I will help seal those cracks in my life by proactively reminding myself of who I am and whose I am. We know that we constantly are under attack in those areas of who we are and of whose we are. Man, we, we, we think we belong to our job. We think we belong to this group of people who would want to always impose these things upon us of how we have to be and who we should be in order to be accepted. And we let those people own our lives and we give them way too much power in our lives instead of believing what the Word of God has already said about you. 
that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are free. So we speak the truth of God's word in our lives. We have to speak it. We have to actually say it out loud, okay? Actually speak the word of God out loud. I've been telling you this for a while now. We need to hear ourselves say the word of God to ourselves. Well, that sounds crazy. People think you're crazy. Yeah, they might. But guess what? I would rather somebody think I'm crazy and me walk in peace and victory and joy because I need to hear the word of God and remind myself of who I am. Amen? I can read stuff and forget it all day long. But man, there's something about the power of actually making those sounds through our vocal cords and out of our mouth. The Bible says that our words are either life or death. They have that power. So we need to speak life over ourselves. Amen? We need to say who we are. Man, it might feel weird at first. But you need to read the words of Jesus and know that he's talking to you. When he says to be of good cheer, he wants you to be of good cheer. So I know that my God wants me to walk in joy and peace. I see that in the scripture. So I can say, no, I'm not going to drink this Kool-Aid that the world's trying to get me to drink to cause me to fear. Instead, I'm going to say, no, I'm forgiven and my God wants me to walk in joy because I know that he hasn't given me a spirit of fear. I know he's given me a, a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So I have the peace of God that passes my understanding. I may not feel the peace of God right now. You understand that having something and feeling something are two different things? <laughs> Because how many times you don't feel peace? How many times you don't feel joy? You might not always feel joy, but does that mean all of a sudden you don't have it? No, if you have Jesus, you have it. You just forgot who you are and whose you are. So you need to remind yourself of who you are and whose you are by speaking the word, and then it will begin to stir something up in your spirit that will help your emotions to line up with the spirit of God because that's what the word of God does. Remember, it cuts. Remember, it divides. It divides between soul and spirit. You remember that? It's cutting between my mind, my will, and my emotions and who God says that I am. And we need to allow the Word of God to do that in our lives by reminding ourselves of who we are and whose we are. We also seal the cracks by investing our lives in Christian community. Man, this is huge. This is another great way to seal the cracks in our lives. If you have your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at verse 24. Hebrews 10 and 24, page 1740 in my Bible. Page 10, I mean Hebrews 10 and verse 24. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Sometimes people say, oh, I don't need church. I can have Jesus at home. Yes, you can, but do you have accountability and do you have people spurring you on to good works or is it just you and Jesus? You see, yes, let me tell you something. Jesus wants us to live in Christian community, amen? He wants us to sharpen one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, not isolate ourselves because we're super spiritual and feel like we're elitists. He doesn't want us to isolate ourselves because we're the only ones who have the truth and I hope everybody else figures it out. That's arrogance. 
And pride comes before fall. And sometimes we're so arrogant that we don't even realize that we've fallen. Sometimes we're so prideful and think we're so super spiritual that we have not even cared for one another. We haven't sought out one another. We think we're at the top and everybody just needs to be like us. Everybody needs to think like us. Everybody needs to do everything like us. Friend, when you get to that place, you are in a dangerous spot. I've been there. I grew up in that type of church. And we did nothing for the kingdom of God, but we sure had a good time. But we weren't doing anything to advance the kingdom of God. I would rather be about the Father's business of winning souls and making disciples and raising up a generation who is going to know the Lord and know His mighty works than me just play church with a handful of people. I want to be about mission because that's what Jesus said. It's called the great co-mission. Co-mission. It means you can't do it by yourself. Amen? That means we need one another. That's why church community is important. That's why our relationships with one another are important. Because he said we need to stir up each other in love and good works. Because those are two things that sometimes you can get funky on. Sometimes you don't feel very loving and sometimes you don't want to do no good works. And you need somebody to go, I'm going to stir you up to do something good and love somebody. Thank God for people like that. Amen? Sometimes you need to be that person. Sometimes you need that person ministering to you. Right? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some. Some people, he said, are already doing that. And this was in Hebrews that he's writing this. Wow. He said, but we need to exhort one another. And as so much the more as you see the day or the day of the Lord's return approaching that we say, no, we need each other. Let's look at Philippians 2 and 3. If you have your Bible, you can flip over there. Philippians chapter 2. And verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each other esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, whom, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not always in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Say, listen. Instead of us thinking we got it all together, instead of us thinking I don't need this or I don't need that or I'm so smarter than everybody, he said, no, let this mind be in you instead. The kind of mind and the kind of thinking that was in Christ Jesus, that even though he was equal with God, he, 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 he said, you know what, I'm still going to humble myself and become a man and I'm going to serve even to death. Wow. <laughs> even to death, I'm going to serve. 
That's the attitude that Jesus took, and that's the attitude that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, saying, let this kind of mind be in you who call yourselves Christians. Let this mind be in you who gather together and assemble together in the context of a local church body. Let this mind be in you where nobody's in the room going, look how many stars I have by my name. Look how special I am. No, it's not about this position or this position or someone feeling like they're super important or non-important. It's about us humbling ourselves and serving one another. It's about us humbling ourselves and and serving each other. That's what he wants us to do. That's how we seal the cracks by investing our lives in Christian community. Because God wants us to serve each other. He wants us to keep our hearts in check. He wants us to have accountability. Oh, we don't like that word nowadays. We don't want to be accountable. But part of Christian community is accountability. Amen? Amen. I'll give you a little commercial real quick. We have Word of Grace stickers that you can put on the back of your car window out there at guest services. And guess what? I'm going to give them to you for free. Wow, what a great deal. If you act now, I'll give you two of them for free. Fantastic. That's great. Okay, listen. Some people are like, oh, I don't want to put a sticker on my vehicle. Maybe you don't like stickers on your car. That's cool. But guess what? I think that sometimes that's a great way for us to be accountable. Not only does it tell people where you go to church and where you consider that your, your church family, um, but it also helps keep you accountable. Man, you better not be acting a fool with that sticker on the back of your car. I will talk to you and pray for you and cast that out of you. You better not be acting a fool wearing those family shirts. Oh, snap. Better not be acting a fool wearing the Word of Grace shirts, or any shirt for that matter. Because we understand we're representatives, amen? Amen. Because we would rather say, you know what, I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to honor Him with my life. And I'm going to serve Him in a way that's going to bring Him glory, and that's not going to tarnish His name or the name of my church family, amen? Amen. Oh, amen or oh me, come on somebody. That's how we help each other, we're holding each other accountable. Loving on each other when, when we're down, picking each other up, man. It's like we were praying for baby Grace in this morning, praying for each other, caring about one another, that we ask, hey, how's it going? And, and, and we really mean it when we say we'll pray for you. You know, I've started doing this, and, and, and I don't know if it's a good thing to do or not, but, <laughs> but I started doing it anyways, and I'll continue doing it until somebody tells me it's not a good thing to do. But... Um, <laughs> When people ask me to pray for them, which is often, as a pastor, you get that a lot. People say, hey, would you pray for me about this, pray for me about that? This is what I start telling people. I say, yeah, I'll I'll pray for you, or we'll be praying for you. And then I stop and I say, I mean, I'll actually pray for you. (laughs) Isn't that sad that I have to say that, though? But because, haven't we created this culture where we just say that? And do we actually do it? You see, if we truly care, and if we're in the context of Christian community, part of that accountability should be that, you know what, and that care should be that we pray for each other when we say we will. Even if you have to do it right then. And if you say, if someone says, will you pray for me, and you say yes, do it right then. Or as soon as you get in your car or hang up the phone or whatever the case, do it right then. Pray for them. Don't just say it because that's the church thing to do or the Christian thing to do. We don't need Christians just saying all the right things and not doing it with poor follow-through. We need people who will do what they say they'll do. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's how we help seal the cracks in our lives by investing in Christian community. Another way we seal the cracks is by investing in prayer and reading the Bible. I know the shocker, right? 
Shocker. Uh, This is a great way for us to seal the cracks because what we're doing, remember, by sealing the cracks is that we're being proactive in our efforts as believers, understanding that there are things that are coming our way and I need to make sure that I am prepared so when the enemy comes in like a flood that the Word of God comes out of my mouth. But the Word of God's not going to come out of my mouth from sitting in a church once a week for an hour and a half. The Word of God is going to come out of my mouth when I am proactively, intentionally investing time on my own to read and understand the Word of God. Man, we've got tools and tools and tools and then some more tools that are free, that are all over the Internet, that are all over this world, that we can understand the Bible. We are the people who are without excuse because of all of the tools that we have to read and understand the Bible. But it seems that we're in the the most biblically illiterate at times and the most powerless sometimes because we're not using the tools. We need to use what's out there to be able to proactively invest so when the enemy comes in like a flood that the Word of God comes out of my mouth. That I hit my knees and I pray. That I'm talking to God on a regular basis not just when everything in my life isn't going my way. And we have this if relationship with God Oh God, I'll go to church if you do this. God, I'll do this if you do this. And we're making all these deals with God behind the scenes, right? So everybody can think that nothing's wrong in my life because I've got all these behind the scenes deals with God that I'm making. Oh God, I'll do this. Or if you don't do this, I'll do this. Why don't you just invest in getting to know Him instead of always trying to cut deals with Him? I don't want relationship with someone that I'm always having to cut deals with behind the scenes, man, just to keep up appearances. Isn't it more healthy for me to just know Him for who He is and trust Him for who He is and love Him for who He is? That comes through prayer and Bible reading. This is how I get to know who He is. If you don't know where to start in the Bible, I agree with Bob Utley. He said, don't start in Genesis because after the first three chapters, you'll get discouraged and confused. If you are just starting out reading the Bible and you don't know where to start, start somewhere like the book of John or in the book of James where you can learn about the life of Jesus or you can learn some practical wisdom from the Word of God. Those are great places to start. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged because you're trying to go through the Bible and trying to read all these things that you're not understanding. Listen, God is not impressed that your eyes can skim over pages that you do not understand what the words mean. Oh, come on, somebody. Pastor's preaching up in here today. God doesn't go, oh, wow, you read words you didn't understand, but you can check that off your list. I read that book of the Bible. Who cares? You didn't understand it. (laughs) Wouldn't it be so much better for you to slow down and try to break it down and understand or get involved in a Bible study or ask someone questions instead of just blaze through it so you can check it off your list and say you did it? God doesn't go, wow, we read through First and Second Chronicles. Fantastic. That's great. I have no idea what I just read. God wants you to understand His Word. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we need to invest in prayer and Bible reading. Psalm 119 and 11. Psalm 119 and 11 says, Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He wants us to hide His Word in our heart because it's going to affect everything that we do. Amen? If it's hidden in my heart and not just in my head, then it's going to change my actions and my reactions. Amen? Because I'm proactively investing in my heart. Hiding His Word in my heart means I know Him, I understand Him, I get to know Him for who He is, not who I want Him to be. And I say, God, show me who You are. Just who You are. 
not, not through all of the filters that I have gone through in my life that I've made you to be or that I want you to be or that society wants you to be. Show me who you really are in your word. And I'll hide that in my heart so I won't sin against you. I'll let that dictate my actions and my reactions because I'm proactively investing in my life through the word and through prayer. Lastly, we seal the cracks in our lives by allowing the gospel to empower us to live thankful and generous lives. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel every day because we can forget it, right? That's the famous quote by Martin Luther, the famous reformer. He said, I can forget the gospel every day, so I need to remind myself of who I am, of whose I am. I need to remind myself that this is not something that I have accomplished or done on my own, but this is something that's wrapped up in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is something that Jesus did for me. Man, that should keep my heart in a humble state when I recognize the authority of Jesus, when I recognize the perfection of Jesus, when I recognize how he did something for me that I am completely undeserving of, but he did it anyways because he loves me that much. Wow, that'll make me thankful, amen? Amen. That'll make me generous. Let's see what the power of the gospel did to the folks in Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed together, they were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions, their good. And they divided them among all as anyone had need. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That is the mark of a healthy church right there. That is the mark of healthy Christians right there. What are they doing? They're just having things in common. They're, they're, they're generous. They're thankful. They're praising God. They're living their lives with simplicity and saying, you know what, everything I have belongs to God. We get this idea that everything we have belongs to us because we worked for it and paid for it. Nuh-uh. Look at your neighbor and say, nuh-uh. There you go. Thank you for that one. No. We think that because we worked for it and we earned it and we bought it, because we got a paycheck and we marched ourselves down to the bank. <laughs> Look at me, I've got a paycheck. <laughs> what? Who's this FICA guy? Why he's taking all my money? <laughs> so <laughs> we go put our money in the bank and we feel empowered. No. Everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Amen? Amen. He gives us these ways to remind us. That's why he requires things from us. That's why he wants us to acknowledge those things. That's all we're doing when we give our tithe and our offering to God. That's really all we're doing is we're acknowledging the fact that this isn't mine. Actually, we're not giving God anything. We're just returning it to him. We're returning it. We're returning the tithe to God. We're saying, God, I acknowledge this is yours. I acknowledge this offering. I acknowledge this is yours. And he has given us those ways, and he wants us to submit and be obedient to those things because he wants us to not think more highly of ourselves than we should and think somehow this is ours and we did this. No, we stay humble and thankful and generous by reminding ourselves of the gospel, by giving our lives to him, by giving our finances to him, by giving our time to him. When we give these things to him, it creates in us a generous heart and a thankful heart that is just reminding itself of the gospel, proactively doing those things. Amen? That's why he wants us to do that. He wants us to live simply. He doesn't want us to live these complicated lives that are all about us. He wants us to be reminded of Jesus Christ and the price that was paid for our salvation. He wants us to be thankful for the cross. 
Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.